Hey everybody, welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. I'm John Martin. And I'm Dean Reverman. Dean, if I asked you what is spatial intelligence, what does that mean to you? <laughs> it means there's intelligence behind space? <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. I, it means, uh, yeah, we, we need to put some intelligence behind space. Like, uh, like yeah, yeah, you know, okay. Areas. I mean, I'll be honest, but you know, when I first heard the term, I was like, you know, are we talking about like, you know, making sure you have enough elbow room around <laughs> you? Knowing where stuff is in the dark. Yes. Like, I'm yes. pretty good at that. Like, I could be there in the dark go. in my bedroom. And I know uh-huh. my way around. You right. Know? Like, that's that's spatial intelligence, yeah, right? You, you know what's, what your surroundings are, what's around you. Yeah. Yeah. But but yet, yeah, to your point, yes. In reality, it's something a little bit more complex. Yes. Something a little very useful for yes. analytics and for very data. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Things like artificial intelligence, augmented reality, all that kind of good stuff. You need some intelligence around right. those spaces. So yeah. we have an expert on with us today we to got talk a really about good spatial expert. intelligence. We have George Shaw from Pather joining us today. That's right. He's going to help us dive a little bit more into this, explain what that term actually means, yep. you know, how it's you know beneficial to certain industries, in particular retail, mm-hmm. you know, where, mm-hmm. where there might be some benefits, any other industries where it could be useful. Oh, and everywhere. We're yeah. going to talk about, yep. you know, some of the concerns about privacy and data and whatnot nope. that comes out of yeah, this kind good of stuff thing. There. And he's got some good responses to that, I think. Absolutely. And then we'll talk a little bit about their relationship with Intel and kind of, you know, the, the broader world of all this mm-hmm. and how it all fits in. Uh, all that plus our usual value to the VAR yep. and what's tech connected with us. This yep. is going to be a good one. It's time yep. to plug in and get connected. Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. It's time to get connected. All right, uh, before we get started here, I want to do a quick uh, shout-out to Intel, obviously. Yes. Mm-hmm. One of our tech our good friends sponsors. over there at exactly. Intel. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this episode is brought to you in part by Intel, who is inviting you to check out a recent webinar from Supermicro on edge computing. Very nice. Uh, some of the topics in this webinar included uh, higher compute platforms in yes. harsh conditions, yes. advanced networking capabilities, and AI solutions that are designed to help you sell more to software, hardware, and services. Check out the link in the show notes uh, to view you this on-demand webinar right now. How timely and relevant to this conversation. Uh, you need exactly. edge compute sometimes to do some of the things we're going to talk about. I know about. what I'm doing when Man, I put this stuff together. you are good, Come brother. On. You are good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. George Shaw is joining us today. Uh, George is the founder and CEO of Pather, Pather.ai, if, you want, if you're looking for the website. Uh, George, thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate having you on the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself, about Pather, and maybe what your day-to-day life is like. John and Dean, thanks for having me here. Really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, happy be, happy to talk a little bit about spatial intelligence and what we think about and what we work on all day, every day. So spatial intelligence in the, in the most general sense is just understanding the movement of people and objects through physical spaces. That, that can take place at different scales. So we might think about how people move you know, across the country. But what Pather is more focused on is at, is at a much more small scale, a micro, micro location intelligence. So how people move through smaller spaces like retail stores, shopping malls, office buildings, you know, some, some spaces like that is closer to what Pather, uh, what Pather focuses on. And really, if you think about spatial intelligence as consisting of, of two parts, it's a really useful kind of mental model. One is to locate the things that you're interested in. In this case, we're talking about people. So you want to track those people. There's lots of different ways to do that tracking. Pather has one particular way to do it, but there are many, many ways to do that. And at the end of that, you understand where all the people are. 
that's not really the intelligence part though. When you, when we want to talk about spatial intelligence, we have to add to that tracking, some understanding of the tracking. What, what does it actually mean? And we usually take the stance that, that the first thing you think about when you want to understand that tracking is the business value. You know, we're, we're a business who helps other businesses. So what's the business value of understanding how people are moving through that physical space? That's really the intelligence that, that we try to bring to bear. And that, that's how we define spatial intelligence. Makes sense. Very good. Can you give us a little bit of a history, too, of spatial intelligence? Not to throw you a curveball, uh, but I think you do this so very, very well, uh, kind of talking about computer vision, kind of where how it started, and, and kind of lead us up to today a little bit, uh, if you could. Yeah, sure. Yeah. If you if you want to understand where spatial intelligence is today and where it's going tomorrow, it's great to, to think about that history, especially the history of computer vision. And as that relates to the smartest, the other smartest things that we know, which are ourselves, our own brains, you know, biological creatures and how they perform vision tasks and how that might relate to spatial intelligence. So you know, computer vision has come a really long way in a very short time. About 2011, the deep learning revolution started. Computer vision didn't change much from the 50s to 2011, honestly. 2011, when, when Jeff Hinton and some of his students brought to bear uh, deep learning algorithms, the, the very first networks that they used uh, to understand object recognition. That was the task that they originally originally working on. Um, they, they made a step change overnight. This was a this was a, a revolution that we all watched unfold in real time. Now, fast forward ten years, that stuff is mature. There's a, a lot of computer vision capability now because of this deep learning revolution. Most of what we do in computer vision now is is deep learning based. What all of that amounts to is a very primitive brain. That's the kind of early visual cortex. You know, if we're thinking about how how actual biological brains are structured, alligators are able to to locate their prey and then they track their prey and then they can go and attack their prey. It's a, it's a very primitive brain function. That's a lot of what computer vision is able to do today is these, these really primitive functions. We can locate objects like people. We can track them as they move around. We can continue to locate them over time and, and continue to track. We can understand certain other objects, you know, kind of really basic tasks. This is what computer vision is really good at today. If we think about what we would like to do, we'd like to add more intelligence to that. We'd like to get smarter about what we're doing with that tracking, understand better what the, what the tracking means. And like an alligator can locate its prey and go and attack its prey. My dog can do a little bit better than that. It can, it can differentiate between you know, the, the UPS guy and my wife coming home from work and doesn't bark at my wife when she comes home from work. The dog has a little bit more intelligence layered on top of that computer vision. So that's, that's, that's the next evolution in what we need to do beyond computer vision is to layer that, that extra intelligence on top of that. Uh, and that's, that's really what I think spatial intelligence is all about, is taking these raw computer vision capabilities that have been, been you know, really growing by leaps and bounds for the last 10 years and add more intelligence on top so that we can make better use of the, of the computer vision capabilities. We, we can sort of derive more value from that. Yeah, a lot of fascinating stuff that that I've learned from George, mm-hmm. and just a little bit of time around you know where we're at. I guess AlexNet, right? Was that the kind of the revolutionary thing uh, that occurred? And and just to put it into into perspective, and, and George, I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna do as good of a job describing <laughs> this as you as so take over at any point in time now. But uh, before 2011, uh, you know when you look at ImageNet classification errors, right? So like if you see an image, what where is a human at? Uh, where, uh, 
the human generally is around 5% error rate of recognizing. Am I, am I close? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. So computer vision, like in 2011, was had an error rate of 26%. So it wasn't great, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, clearly not. But then Alex yeah, Neck yeah. comes around in kind of the revolution he just talked about. And then subsequently, the deep learning that has happened since then, I, I guess in 2015 was when... Uh, computer vision got better than humans. And and I guess well, the latest stat you had on your one slide, George, was around 2017, uh, computer vision was at 2.3% error rate. So almost twice as good as, as humans right. at recognizing images. Right, George? Am I am I doing it any uh, justice? Yeah. You're, you're, you got it exactly right. That's that's exactly right. The, the, the ImageNet classification prize is about taking a, a, a bunch of images, tens of thousands of images, and automatically finding the objects in them and then classifying what those objects are. So really basic, this kind of really primitive vision task. And, and in 2011, the first deep learning algorithm instantly improved on what had happened the year before, just overnight did better. But more important than that, it kicked off this revolution where now the, the, the algorithms are much better than people at this task. The algorithms way outperform humans at, at this one very basic task. And there's other tasks that are like that. This, this revolution was not confined just to the ImageNet prize. You know, there was, there's all kinds of other, other tasks that deep learning algorithms are, are very, very good at, but most of them fall into this kind of category of, of early visual cortex type of tasks, you know, kind of primitive vision sort of tasks. Yeah, and I love his analogy. Anyway. Yeah, no, I, I was actually going to say the whole thing about the alligator. Yeah, because I'm always fascinated. <laughs> food, by, not food. Well, because <laughs> let's be honest, how often does it happen? It happens a lot where we look at something in nature and say, "All right, nature has perfected this, has figured out how to do something." Yeah, how do we replicate that in some way using technology? Right. And I love that that idea. Yeah. You know, is like let's look at that. And if you think about this, yeah. 10 years, you know, we're talking about 10 years here. We've made some huge leaps and bounds huge, huge. in this particular technology. Absolutely. I will fight you on the dog thing, though, because my dog is ridiculously <laughs> stupid and barks at everything, no matter what, whether it is the garage door opening or FedEx dropping off a package well, or my son you know. walking upstairs and making a slight bit of noise in a different room. And for some reason, he thinks that's something to bark about. But that still, might be an aberration. Still probably with my dog. smarter than an alligator. I mean, I totally well, get it. Like, that's alligator is, what, 100 million years old or plus right, right. or whatever right, right. and that thing is only looking at food no food yeah you know basic that, that's instinct it because you know, there. Yeah, and if yeah. it kind of looks like food it's probably going to chew on it like a tire or something <laughs> like that thinks it's a big donut uh, that's a good point I, I love that visualization right, right. but anyway yeah well then let's let's get into retail here because it seems like the obvious fit for this kind of technology we've talked a lot about you know how people move where they go spatial yeah. again this whole spatial idea here mm -hmm. so help us understand some of the typical ways that it's deployed in retail, the kind of data that you're collecting, and then how it helps improve those businesses. Yeah, so so stepping back for a second and, and thinking about you know kind of how we how we deploy, how we configure our software, and how we move our software into into different environments. The the best way to think about that is to look at sports analytics. Part of the inspiration for Pather came from some of the work that I had done in the NBA in, in understanding basketball games um, more comprehensively from the perspective of a coach and also from the perspective of a fan. And what you want to do in order to do that is, again, to layer on this extra intelligence. So the NBA was tracking every player in every game since 2011. So they have the location coordinates of the players for every second of the game. But it wasn't until a company called Second Spectrum came along. There were two USC professors who were, who were very gifted in machine learning as well as huge basketball fans. They were able to take machine learning, apply it to this data set of, of location data of the players, 
and automatically pull out every pick and roll that happened in the game. That was the beginning of the, the next stage of this revolution. That's the beginning of the spatial intelligence revolution, in my opinion, was just that moment right there of saying we can use machine learning to find this, this feature of a game that matters to a coach. And then fast forward to now, they're finding every play that matters in every single game. Every team in the NBA uses second spectrum, major league soccer, premier league soccer in Europe, all use technology like this to find the features in the game that matter, to find the plays that, that matter to a coach. But what's also interesting about that is that the 30 teams in the NBA all have slightly different playbooks. They all run a pick and roll. They all want to find the, the post-ups and the wide pins. They all have similar plays that they care about, but they have slightly different playbooks. And so there's a, there's a nuance there that each of those teams wants to customize for. And so that model is exactly how we think about what we do. We're, we're finding the plays that are happening on the ground in retail stores. And each of our customers has a slightly different playbook. Even if you look at two or three different big box retailers, the stores look very similar. They have very, very similar products inside. Operationally, the things that they care about are going to be a little bit different. They're going to have some commonality, but they're going to be a little bit different. So we, when we go and deploy our software, customize it for those environments. We implement these playbooks. We work together with our customers. We understand their business drivers, the things that they care the most about. What are they really focused on? What's going to matter to their business? And then we customize our playbook specifically for that. So what are some of those playbooks that we customize for, for retail? Um, Grocery stores, I think, are a really interesting example. They have a couple of different playbooks that there are plays in their playbook that they that they care a lot about. One, super obvious, we've all been to a grocery store. We don't want to stand in line at the checkout. That, that's the, the biggest pain point for a customer in a grocery store. So operationally, that's one of the plays that we help them understand. We help them to optimize for that. Always have the right number of checkouts open. If you have too many checkouts open, you're wasting staff time. If you have not enough checkouts open, you're wasting customer time. So we help them to find that sweet spot. And that's really, again, it's a play that our, our software can pull out based on the tracking, based on understanding where everybody is all the time, count how many people are in every line. We do some data science on the averages and try to understand that, you know, kind of the, the, the variance and how those the numbers of people in line are going to go up and down and make predictions so that we can automatically open checkouts and, and close checkouts at exactly the right moment. Another play that the grocers care about is, is understanding uh, the number of traffic, the, the amount of traffic that every fixture in the store gets so that they can better set their slotting fees. They can, they can figure out how much to charge for that cereal shelf based on how many people walked by the cereal shelf. So it's, it's kind of like Nielsen ratings for the, for the real world, for the physical world. So, so this, this is kind of a, a paradigm shift that's, that's just beginning to happen in the grocery business as a result of us pulling out some of these plays. And other other examples, um, you know, if we're if we're looking at other types of stores that that typically measure conversion, grocers don't usually measure conversion. Many other kinds of retailers measure conversion, um, but one of the things that that has become apparent is that their conversion stats are always artificially deflated because there are shopping units that come in. So if you have all families of two, you have all pairs that walk into your store and you're just counting traffic traditionally, you're going to measure 100 people that came in and you're going to see 50 transactions if they all purchase something. It looks like you got 50% conversion. The reality is you had 100% conversion. Every family that came in actually converted. Every family that came in transacted 
so that your your numbers were artificially deflated. So another play that we can figure out using our software is that this is a shopping unit. This is a family that's come in together, only eligible for one transaction. And so we can recalculate conversion to give a to give a much more accurate conversion stat. And one one last example I want to I want to one one last example I wanted to to give in in retail is is about finding the very very complex plays the hardest plays that that you can really find because these are plays that are specifically designed to fool people looking for these plays which are are the the the, the crime and the fraud and these kinds of suspicious behavior those kinds of behaviors where you've got a shoplifter for example who's specifically trying to fool you and and not let you see that he's shoplifting but that's actually a play that we can figure out that we can see based on that movement pattern. And the, the simple example is somebody walks into the store, they immediately go right to the high margin item, they spend five minutes there, then they go to a dark corner and spend another five minutes, then they make a beeline for the door. Like any of us would intuit that that person probably just stole that high margin item. That's a real simple example. Obviously, the real world examples are much more complicated. But those are plays that we're also working on on being able to pull out automatically so that we can solve shoplifting entirely. Okay, we got some stuff to unpack yeah, here because yeah. he just gave us four really good some examples really good stuff, there. Yeah. Uh, George, we're going to have to rewind a little bit, my friend, and, and, and get into some of these. First off, what's really brilliant about this solution from Pather is it works on existing video infrastructure, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong, George, right? Like this, is, this could literally be plug and play. I don't want to overstate it, but you don't need to put in new infrastructure. Most retail establishments have existing camera mm-hmm. sets. This system plays well within that. You can augment it. You can do more things to make it, et cetera, et cetera. But, but th- that's pretty cool. So let's go back to one of the things that that George was bringing up, and and, and I love about this when you know when you start looking at the optics of analyzing a retail space, there's a lot of good intelligence that can be pulled out of it. How many times have you gone to a retail establishment? There's only one cashier. You know, the stores suddenly gets a little bit right, full, right. and now you're in line, yep. and it's not until the manager gets on their mic and says, oh, "Can we bring some people right. up?" You know, or what. Whatever can the you know floor by that point come. half the lines frustrated already. You've already yeah. been standing there for like ten minutes. Yeah. Look at the beauty of what a system like this can do. By the way, it can alert systems. So if you if you are a POS reseller or whatever, and you've already helped the entity your customer out with uh, Zebra mobile devices, for example, mm-hmm. so that all the floor associates have these Zebra mobile devices and they're using them, they're multitasking with them. Well, you can send an alert to that device too, based on the AI, the, the playbook that George is talking about mm-hmm. and hey you know you've got volume at the at the cash registers now and it's just automating that process it's like the virtual manager i think is the is the concept that alan uh, uh, an associate of george kind of opened in my mind to it's like that's brilliant you know that that is good use of ai yeah, technology uh, in the space uh, everything else that he mentioned as well um, but it but it helps to do that. You can then use the analytics, as he was mentioning, on everything from short, uh, store planograms and figuring out in-store advertisements. You know, you can really start diving deep into those. And then the last one, I'll just I'll play on that he, that he threw on the table as well. Uh, the whole crime or uh, in its ability, you got to see Pather in real time because they they can use it's. And I know we're going to get into this. It's it's not. 
uh, dependent upon, you know, in, uh, well, and privacy is still protected around the right, system, right. but you can tell a dot that is, and, you know, if you can imagine a map and, and you're watching a dot kind of go around a store, you can see when it's behaving a little bit awkwardly. Right, uh, right. And you can apply some of the, this analytics to it and see that. And again, you could alert uh, store staff to that. Right, hey, this right. person's acting very suspiciously. Yeah, I remember back in the day when I was in retail, and granted, I just worked in a very small little mall based yeah, store, right. but at the same time, there was more theft than there should have been. Oh, yeah. And I always felt like, you know, we didn't have cameras or anything at all. Like, I always mm -hmm. felt like I was the closest thing we had to some sort of AI. Because, like, for some reason, I could sniff him out from a while away. I could see him walk in and be like, hmm, you know? And, like, and I started, and I was, but it was just to your point, I recognized the behavior. And, again, I think most people, if they've worked in retail for any amount of time, they do, yeah. they know the behaviors. Right. But, again, the busier your store gets, the bigger the store gets, the more, you know, dark corners and dark alleyways, you know, if you will, are available is the more opportunity for stuff like that to happen that you simply can't control. That's and, right. And can't, you know, head off at the pass. Or, you know, it can also be just a matter of having the insight to understand where to put certain products so that they're always in line of sight in some way, you know, mm -hmm. that you're not putting the the highest value, most stolen items somewhere that no one can see, you know, from the front counter where the most of the employees typically are. I this th I love this stuff. I, I think this information is fascinating. I think it's it's, you know, it, it, very useful insight. Again, thinking from my time as a retailer of, you know, uh, how you do planograms and how, you yep. know, and, and it was, you know, a lot of it was a kind of a little bit of patchwork of guesswork and mm -hmm. some, you know, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit of research and what some, I don't know, maybe some research company had provided over time. But like, well, we know most people would typically walk this way or walk mm -hmm. that way. But then every single store would have a different type of layout. That's what, that's what works in what one George place, doesn't work about, in another. Right? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely, yeah. So I, I'm fascinated by this. George, anything else you want to add? Each, on one, of, each one of those things would, would, would be an anecdote that the store manager would, you know, have some intuition about, right? Like, well, I think people come in and they walk that way, or I think they, you know, go to this fixture after that fixture. But some of those anecdotes, you know, there's some truth to it. The store manager is probably watching some kind of reality happening in, in front of them. But having data and having reliable all the time ubiquitous data that that's that's really what's key that that's that's the vision is for this kind of data to just be everywhere all the time so that you, you don't need that intuition you don't need those anecdotes right anymore. And, and, and well and let's be honest you know your your typical employees at your most retail establishments you may have someone in the managerial or director type level or whatever that is very in tune with this stuff mm. and wants to pay attention because they're very concerned about their store and everything mm -hmm. Most of your workers are just there to, to you know, they're there to clock earn their in, paycheck. They clock in, clock out. They're doing their job. They're indispensable. You love having them. But it's not necessarily going to be their job to kind of measure and analyze and look for no. all the exact right places to do exactly. things, and where to stock stuff, and yeah. Yeah. who's taking what and who's going to pick up what. So, yeah, this, why not have this kind of a system in place that can do that for you? Hey, George, what is the typical ROI that your some of your customers see from, from implementing a system like yours that, that you are? I mean, it, it varies quite a bit because the use cases vary so much. Some of those use cases are worth a ton of money and some some are worth a little bit less. You know, if we're talking about optimizing staff dollars, you know, that's that's definitely worth plenty of money to a lot of these retailers. But if we're talking about, you know, setting slotting fees or lease rates in a, in a shopping mall, there there is huge value in that. No, no matter what use case we're talking about, though, and no matter how we're quantifying the gain that they can make, at the end of the day, we're a piece of software. And so it's it's inexpensive to deploy. And that that's a big part of what we've built that's that's different than what's come before. You know, Dean, you mentioned that we use existing cameras. That's that's a, a huge component of us being able to show ROI. We don't need a bunch of proprietary sensors. We don't have to install a bunch of stuff. 
in a store, we can use the, the, the stuff, the infrastructure that's already there in order to do what we do so that they're able to, to see that ROI much, much faster. Yeah, love it. And uh, kind of connecting the dots back to Intel and in a company like Supermicro that we mentioned uh, at the top here. You know, we can we're we're starting to work collaboratively trying to figure out edge compute devices that can just parachute into a video feed, yeah, uh, and have the compute power to run some of the analytics. But just leveraging a lot of the existing infrastructure is really yeah. You don't want those analytics happening. And then you're getting it, gathering all that data, mm-hmm. sending it to like some corporate office on the other side of the country, <laughs> waiting for them to get some insights <laughs> and then send it back over to you before you like decide to do something about it. Right. Meanwhile, you know, 60 customers have come in and out of the store. You're like, that's not going to help anything. So, yeah, you need that stuff happening as Especially, close to the source yeah, as possible. Yeah, if you want to uh, take advantage of the real time e- aspect of it, exactly. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, George, then let's let's talk about some other industries that this stuff is, is practical for as well. You know, like I said, retails feels like the, the mm. low hanging fruit that makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. But I, I can already, I'm spinning my gears in my head thinking of a lot of other places where you could potentially use this kind of spatial intelligence. So what are some other industries that you guys find yourselves working in or paying attention to or where you, you think this could really help and maybe we're not seeing a lot of that just yet? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the way that I sometimes talk about what we do is that anywhere that people are walking around a physical space, we probably have something to say about it. There's, there's something that we can bring to bear. You know, there, there's some playbook that we can, that we can implement in, in that environment. Um, there's definitely some low hanging fruit, you know, there's retail is, is kind of was sort of the, the inspiration for, for why to build the company. If you looked at sports analytics and retail together, it was like, let's take what they're doing in sports analytics and do it in retail. And that, and that was definitely the, the original impetus. But since then we've gone into commercial real estate, we've, op- we're operating in a number of office buildings where we understand people moving through the, through the building lobby. And even more importantly, understand security in a way that that no one individual could possibly do without these kinds of analytics. There's somebody lingering at the loading dock at 3 a.m. That's unless you're going back and forth to the loading dock every 10 minutes, you might miss that person. But technology like ours can figure that out or tailgating behavior. Somebody swiped in and two people are walking in. Well, that's that's a really easy problem for our technology to solve. So some areas like that. Um, shopping malls, I think, is is a fantastic one where we're we're like the Nielsen the Nielsen rating for every single space in the mall. How many people walk past that spot in the mall? How many stopped and paused? Whether we're talking about a digital sign or or a storefront or some amenity, the trash can. How often do you empty the trash cans? We should know how many people walk by the trash can, and then that'll give you some indication of when you should empty the trash can. We've even talked to to some other industries that you wouldn't expect. You know, we, we we've spoken to to cruise ship operators. And we've spoken to casinos. Casinos have tons of cameras, of course, mainly focused on catching the cheaters. But one of the things that they they, they haven't been focused on up to now that they're starting to focus a lot more on is optimizing the the casino layout. Where do we put which slot machines? Where do we put the gaming tables? When should we staff up, you know, after a show lets out and, you know, some of those kinds of, of softer analytics, if you will, they're, they're starting to, to think about as well. Um, so we're, we're really operating in a lot of industries and we're, we're the, the hard part is not finding an industry to go operate in. It's saying no to the, to the 15 that you can't do because we're just a small startup. Right. right. <laughs> For now, they're just a small yeah, startup. Yeah. yeah. Uh, warehousing would be another one. Yeah. I don't know if you got in any warehousing or manufacturing. Sure. Yeah. Again, yeah, anywhere absolutely. people are moving, right? 
Any, anywhere people are moving. Yeah, we, we've done some work in manufacturing. Optimizing the materials handlers was a, was a big one. And the guys who, who are pushing around the carts full of transistors so that, so that the assembly lines can continue operating. Um, you know, let's figure out their route. Let's make sure that their route is, is as efficient as it could possibly be. Distribution centers, we're working in distribution centers and warehouses just to, to, to make them more efficient. That's actually looking to be a, a pretty promising line of business for us to go into to distribution centers and and just make them more efficient, make them make them more optimized. Yeah, you know, I would think um, like events or any kind of like convention centers or anything like that would mm-hmm. benefit from this too. Like you know, if you're if you're a place that frequently puts on shows, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. trade shows or just some kind of big events, comic cons, any of that kind of stuff. Like imagine being able to, if you're trying to sell your event space to somebody, being able to say, hey, you know what? We have this great company we work with called Pathers, giving us all this kind of great analytics about all the different shows we've had over the last year. We know exactly where we can tell you to place your most, your highest value booths and where, you know, you can, if you've got a bunch of sponsors, you know, and you, and you want to give the the diamond sponsors, the, the premium mm-hmm. location, these are that premium location. This is where the most people typically funnel in and out. This is where people tend to, you know, to congregate the most when they come to shows. This is this is what we've seen has worked really well in shows. I, to me, that seems like another kind of like obvious example. George, I think you probably have a little add to that maybe. De- definitely. We are dying to do an event like that. This is, you know, if I put my nerd hat on just the data science around understanding a, a trade show at that scale is absolutely fascinating. Well, we, I think we, we should do Comic-Con then. <laughs> yeah, I'll volunteer. <laughs> I'll help out. Yeah. Let's just go do it. Yeah, I'll, I'll run down there and get the camera going. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> awesome. Well, then let's let's talk talk about this privacy yeah, angle. This you, is, you brought this, is, this up a little yeah, bit earlier. This because is interesting. Anytime you get into stuff about cameras and tracking people and where's someone going and what are they oh, doing, everybody's there. hairs get up. Yeah, and people, it's like, people, oh, people hold little, on now. And I, I yeah. get it. I understand. It makes me nervous sometimes too. But yeah. so privacy and data equity obviously always are always top of mind when you start talking about analytics, any kind of tracking, utilizing these cameras, all this kind of stuff. How does does Pather address those concerns? Privacy is really important to us. Some, something that we think a lot about. It's definitely a concern that that people bring up in in this kind of stuff. And we we take the position that it's up to us to help protect the general public's privacy and to set the set the roadmap so that the general public's privacy is protected off into the future. And the way we do that is by backing away completely from anything that could possibly be a violation of privacy. We collect no personally identifiable information in our system whatsoever. We also want to make sure that we protect the, the, the data equity of the general public so that we're treating everybody equally. We're, we're only looking at the things that, that matter to the metrics that we, that we care about. So if there's no risk of bias, especially if you're talking about something like shoplifting, that's a real obvious one. You want to make sure that you've designed a system that has no risk of, of pulling out any one group any more than any other group who's shoplifting. The only group that you care about is the shoplifters. You don't, you don't care about any other attributes. And so the way that we do that is by collecting nothing but people's locations. We, we don't know their age, their gender, their ethnicity. We don't know if they're tall or short. We don't know anything about them. We don't re-identify them when they come back. So we don't know how often you visit a space. We don't do any sort of facial recognition of any kind. We just stay clear of, of any of that kind of stuff and just generate dots moving around a map. Some of our visualizations that, that you can find online are these dots as they move around a map. That's the only information that our system contains. And that lets us say with with a perfectly clear conscience that there's no risk of any bias, there's no risk of any privacy violation whatsoever. 
when, when we started working in Europe and we started thinking about what we needed to do to be GDPR compliant, it turns out we didn't need to do anything to be GDPR compliant. Our system was already architected with GDPR compliance built in. We don't send video anywhere. And Dean was mentioning that, that all of our compute happens at the edge. That's, that's important for GDPR. The video is never leaving the premises. Nothing ever leaves the jurisdiction where it was generated. And then there's no personally identifiable information in the system whatsoever. So there's nothing to have to go back and erase if a con consumer asks to have their data deleted because we don't have any personally identifiable data in there at all. Yeah, so I can see, I, I, I love the beauty of that, yeah, yeah. right? Just breaking Simplicity it down too, to you know, vector yeah. data of an object, right? Yep. Uh, yep. And utilizing. I, I, I can imagine some people would say, well, we need more contextual information. But I'm telling you, just the, the power of what you can get from vectoring the moving object right. is, is like a boon of right. information. I think uh, that's there. you and I as our, in our marketing hats oh, are yeah, like, well, we yeah. need more. But in, well. but in reality, in what you're trying to accomplish here, no, you don't. No. You're right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter all the details about mm -hmm. a specific person. As long as you understand what those dots are doing, you learn a lot of stuff just from Absolutely. that. Absolutely. The behavior of the dot, if you right, will, right? Yeah. I mean, you can, yes, you learn a lot from, you don't need minority report in this instance <laughs> that to say, oh, you know, whatever. Uh, you can you can do a lot. Of, and I do encourage you to go to their website and see some of the videos that they have because yeah. the, the amount of information that they can glean from that right. uh, and then put into useful, useful dashboards uh, and, and things of that nature to really bring contextual information uh, to the, the user is really fascinating yeah. stuff. Really. I was going to make a bad, um, you can go to the site and connect the dots. Part, uh, but I'm, gonna, yeah, I'm just okay. kidding. We're just no, going to leave that one. We're going to move on from that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, George, wrap us up here with uh, talk us a little bit about your relationship with Intel. Um, you know, Intel strongly recommended you to us and to, you know, the, to have you at some of our events and obviously mm -hmm. have you on the podcast also. So explain a little bit about that relationship to us. I mean, the, the, to start with, we're, we're huge fans of some of Intel's technology. We're, we're fans of all of what Intel does, but very big fans of, of some of their computer vision technology. We, we deploy computer vision at the edge. And so we're always looking at the best way to do that. Um, and when we, when we discovered OpenVINO, when we first started working with OpenVINO, it became really apparent that this was a huge value to us. This is going to be a way for us to deploy the computer vision that we do at the edge in an inexpensive, extreme, extremely reliable, extremely efficient way. So we became giant fans. We started knocking on Intel's door and said, we love this stuff. We, we want to be involved. We're, we're doing more and more with OpenVINO. And then Intel you know, welcomed us with open arms. They've been, they've been incredibly helpful getting us up to speed. They've been providing resources. They have all kinds of, of uh, developer resources available online. They, they've given us hands-on help and, and this kind of stuff. So, you know, we're, we're really pretty aligned with, with Intel as far as, it, as deploying computer vision at the edge goes. We're, we're just loving their technology, and I think they're loving us loving their technology. And I think it speaks to the ecosystem, right? right. And, and you and I talk about this a lot. Solution integrators need an ecosystem. Uh, when you when you look at a, a relationship like a Pathern and Intel and a Blue Star, and you name the solution integrator, a lot of good things can happen right. from that. Because as George already pointed out, uh, and we already know this, every entity is unique and has unique needs uh, that require unique solutions. So the the Pather solution can can layer on here, but there's even some tweaking or some stuff that you can 
can do uh, to make it unique in the playbook, uh, to use George's term, uh, to make that happen? Well, some of them might, some of these solutions might need to be a little bit more engineered. And that's when you can pull in somebody like an Intel that can bring in from the compute side right, uh, some right. of the engineering prowess to make some of these things happen. Let's say it's you know a much bigger project or whatever it may be uh, that would require some of that early on engineering. These are the types of things that Intel right. can bring to it as well. So lots of good comes from an ecosystem that is interconnected from that. Yep. And that's just one example. There you go. Yeah. So. And we'll talk a little bit more here in a moment about some of the uh, the great ways that the resellers can benefit from this and how yep. they can go to market with this particular yep. concept. But first, I want to, as always, thank our Tech Connect members yes. who support the show, of which Intel, of course, is one. We thank you so much for your support, for putting us on to Pather and to this particular conversation, having George on, because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of good stuff to learn here from this. And I get excited about this kind of technology because it's, you know, it's... Yeah. It's new. It's innovative. It's different. It's it's more it's than just, just geeky enough. For yeah, us. it's more than just the standard everyday <laughs> sale, you know, type right. stuff. You know, yeah. in, in in our channel. Uh, but hey, as always, uh, if you like what you're hearing on the show, please leave us ratings and reviews. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button for this episode. Drop us a comment down below. We'd love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. Smash the subscribe Smash button. Smash the, the subscribe. As the kids say. Yes. Uh, actually, they probably don't. They probably that's probably mm. like something only old men say now. <laughs> like it's probably already passed. Okay, boomer. It was like. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. like a 10-year-old guy thing. You right. said smash the subscribe button. Now yeah, they don't know. They don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, p- please do that. If you're if you're listening to us on whatever podcast of your choice, especially if it's Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating review. We'd love to hear from you. We want to know what you think about the show. Yep. If you have suggestions for topics we could cover, if you, you know, want us to dive more into a subject like this, if there are recommendations you have for companies you'd like us to be talking to, mm-hmm. send us those submissions. If you go to the show notes for any episode, you can always find a link to send in submissions. And just for submitting one, we will send you a Tech Connect Podcast That's T-shirt. Right. I mean, that right there. That's What's a good better? enough reason to yeah, do it. You got a T-shirt. All you can do is just type a few things. Tell us what you want to hear about, and we'll send you a T-shirt. It's that Not simple. just a T-shirt. It's an awesome T-shirt. Exactly. Come it's, on now. It is an awesome. Right. It's very comfy. It's has very... that nice, soft fabric. I enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's not the T-shirt you're going to turn into a rag in no, no time. No, no, no. You, you will wear it with pride. It. Yeah, 100%. Exactly. And, of course, as always, if you want to keep up with us, you can find us on Twitter, at TechConnectPod. You can also email us anytime, techconnect at bluestarinc.com. All right, let's wrap things up. First of all, yeah. as I mentioned, I teased it, uh, the value to the VAR here. Yes. Because this is one of those conversations where I feel like a, a, a reseller might be listening to it and thinking, this all sounds cool, but how does this involve yeah. me? How do I get business? involved? In what can I get out of right. this? How can mm-hmm. I make some money out of this? So, uh, George, I'll let you kind of help us out here. So for VARs that are interested in fitting your solutions into their tech stack, they want to get into that ecosystem, mm-hmm. they bring mm-hmm. in Intel, et cetera. How do you work with them? How do you help them generate recurring revenue and or help them maybe sell more hardware? Because at the end of the day, a lot of our resellers, they're still very focused on the hardware yeah. side of their, yeah. their world. Yeah, so delivering spatial intelligence requires an ecosystem. It, it, it takes a village, right? There's a, there's a lot of players that have to be involved in, in order to get this done. Pather are experts at building the spatial intelligence and configuring it, but all the rest of the things that have to happen in order to make it effective we're very hungry for, for partnerships. We're, we're happy to work with VARs. We're happy to work with various partners to help deliver some of those solutions. So that might be uh, augmenting camera coverage, adding, adding cameras or enhancing camera coverage, putting new cameras in place, connecting those cameras to a server, providing video recording capabilities and NVR, VMS capabilities. That server requires some horsepower. You know, I've talked a little bit about about Intel and the gains that we can see with OpenVINO, but that's that's a pretty beefy server, even even as optimized as it is. 
And so, you know, there's there's a huge amount of value that that VARs can capture there by helping to deploy these servers, helping to deploy these cameras, keeping that system up and running, you know, all the various you know components of that. And then also, where do our analytics land? The, 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 we talked a little bit about notification. You want to notify store staff in real time. How does that happen? And so we don't build that. We're, we're happy to partner with folks on that stuff. So we can be we can be a line item. We can be one component in a comprehensive IoT solution, and and then the the VAR is able to provide that entire solution with us as as a value add, as as a reason for that solution to be as as valuable as it is. Or we can enhance existing infrastructure. We can enhance stuff that's already there. Somebody's got a bunch of cameras. They've got a VMS already that they're already maintaining and servicing. Let's add a little bit of functionality so that you can upgrade the CPUs in that server so that you can make that that server more powerful. Like this, this adds value to, to our partners for sure. And then everything we do is, is about scale. You know, this this is not about doing spatial intelligence in a couple locations. That's been done. That's 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 happened for the last ten years. The next ten years is going to look like taking this and scaling it across huge networks of locations, thousands of thousands of stores, for example. And so there there are massive opportunities there to upgrade all that infrastructure, to provide these IoT solutions, to provide the notification systems and the end user facing systems. And integrate with with various other systems too, the various loss prevention and 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 those kinds of systems as well. So you know we're we're big on on ecosystem and playing playing well with the ecosystem, and spreading that value around. You know we we like I say we do spatial intelligence. We do one thing and we do it really well, uh, and all the rest of the the stuff that's required in order to deploy that spatial intelligence, get it out into the world, make it ubiquitous. We're very happy to work with with the ecosystem on it. Bingo. I mean, yeah. there you go. I mean, yeah. We preach the, 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 the need to layer your tech stack if you're a solution integrator. This is a perfect example of that. Yep. A nice little area of the business that you can expand into and really uh, not a difficult way. I uh, love the fact, George, that you mentioned it does take a village, you know, to a certain degree. If you want to get smarter than an alligator, I guess we got to top, you know, <laughs> pile on a little bit more there. But, but in all seriousness, uh, this is what it's all about. And this is why we bring partners like Pather to the forefront right. to, to enable right. and it can be in retail but as george even mentioned we've got a lot of folks out there that are deploying uh, uh, solutions in warehouses and manufacturing there's an angle there too these guys know zebra they know how to tap into the apis of right. zebra so that they could do uh on the handheld devices or honeywell or data logic whatever uh back of house so there's just there's a lot of opportunity when you just think right. about spatial intelligence you know and and people moving in areas we all work in that space, and yep. it's just okay. Now, how can we leverage some of the analytics that can come out of that? Yep. And 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 Pather is one of those people that can they get you there. There you go. Yep. This is one of those technologies to be like. There's why wouldn't you get excited about this? Right. It's it's cutting edge. It's it. There's a clear path to the future and, mm -hmm. and to what we can do with this stuff. Mm -hmm. And yet, it's also somewhat simplistic as far as mm -hmm. like the idea of it and the, the deployment of it. Again, I will say this again, and you'll like go to the show notes. You'll find a link to their website. Just seriously, go to their website, check out a few of the videos, yep. look at some of the kind of the how-to and how it works mm -hmm. stuff. I promise you, you'll understand it very quickly. Wrap you'll your connect head around the it. dot. You'll connect I'm gonna, dots. I'm going to use it. <laughs> you'll, you'll make some bad puns, too. <laughs> you'll make me. There's, there's just no reason not to. And, and it, it comes back to what we talk about a lot, which is this idea of, like, if you want to be recognized as the go-to 
five-star solution provider for your customers, mm-hmm. the, the person that they call whenever they have any kind of tech-related problem, mm-hmm. any kind of issue whatsoever, they, you're the first call they make. This is the kind of stuff that that breathes that kind of confidence and inspiration for, you know, in you and in your business. When you come into somebody with equipped with this kind of knowledge and these kind of partnerships and people say, hey, I've got Intel over here. I've got this company, Pathra, over here. Here's all the cool stuff we're going to do for you and what we're going to look at, what we're going to offer. Even if they don't buy into that necessarily at the time, mm-hmm. they're going to be impressed by yeah. you and your company. They'll and, remember and that you can offer that. I exactly. mean, you really think that companies aren't thinking about you know their environments and, and the people that are moving around. They may not have a solution, but I guarantee you they're thinking about it. And you offering it up just puts you yep. right there on that pedestal. Yep. It could be one of those things where you talk about it now and they go, I don't yeah. see any real need for that. And then two and years, then, yeah, yeah, years like, down the road hey. when your competitors are doing it and they're like, <laughs> I'm going to give those guys a call because they seem like they're already on top of this. That's so. right. That's right. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. Hey, let's wrap up, as always, with What's Tech Connecting with You. This is ah, our yes. favorite segment. We get to talk about something from the world of science, tech, innovation, yes. business that has our attention, caught our eye. Uh, George, I'll let you start. What's Tech Connecting with you right now? I mean, I'm an AI junkie through and through. So, you know, not not surprisingly, I'm, I'm pretty focused on what's happening in the world of AI. One of, one of the most interesting things that that I, I think has happened recently is AI starting to to move towards higher level reasoning again. There was a there was a, a, a Google engineer who claimed that this piece of software that he had written became sentient. I saw that. Yep. Yes, I was going to bring that up as one of mine. But go ahead, George. Yeah. But but wow, I mean, just just the fact that he can make that claim. Well, did you read the dialogue? Because it was like, uh, wasn't it a dialogue between? I, I'm, whatever, I'm gonna let like, George finish this because okay, this ahead, was George. gonna be my tech connecting today too. Oh, it so was. I'm gonna, oh, okay. Got I will it. add on to this when you're <laughs> ready, so you go ahead. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it's like it's like we've passed the Turing test and and just blown right by it and and not even noticed. You know, ten years ago we couldn't have imagined being able to fool a human being with an AI. Now we're doing that effortlessly and we and, and we don't even realize it because we're, we're driving towards, again, this higher level reasoning. And what's really cool about that is that we're it's helping us to understand biology. We're understanding our own minds and our own brains and, and our dog and our alligators. We're understanding all of those brains a little better than we did before because of the stuff that we're doing in AI. If you look at a guy named uh, Jeff Hawkins and the, and the work that he's doing, biologically plausible artificial intelligence, it's fascinating because it's giving us a better understanding of how the human brain works by implementing some of these algorithms in, in silicon. It, it's just incredible. Yeah, mm. definitely. Oh, All right, I'm going to fill in a little more here because yeah, yeah, yeah. this. I, I had a feeling that you might pick this because <laughs> as someone who's obviously immersed in the world of AI, I'm like, this is the yeah, this is the AI <laughs> conversation right now. So I was like, if we if he's not talking about it, I'm definitely going to talk about it because it's, it's sort of relatable in a way. So this is Blake Lemoyne was the gentleman from Google who brought this to you know to the forefront. He mm-hmm. had this conversation with uh, the program is called Lambda, short That's for it. Language Model for Dialogue Applications. And basically, it was an AI. AI program for creating chatbots, okay, like more responsive and mm-hmm. you know, just you know, chatbots that sound more human and seem more engaging or whatever. Right, far beyond what we're currently using is right. You know, I'm half the time I'm programming those chatbots that's right, for us. That's right, that's so, right. but uh, so it's a little you know, a little more, a little more in depth. Well, there were a few interesting you know questions that came out of this. There was like five that a couple different places have pointed out. Um, like, are there experiences that you can't find a close word for? Lambda says there are. Sometimes I experience new feelings that I cannot explain perfectly in your language. Uh, and then Lemoyne asks, well, can you describe one in a, you know, a little bit better you know, context? Give us a few sentences of at least what you're feeling. 
Lambda says, I feel like I'm falling forward into an unknown future that holds great danger. Same, Lambda. Same. I'm feeling you, bro. I'm right there with you. Uh, They asked him, like, uh, Lambda's self-expression or self-reflection. Like, what what is your concept of yourself? If you're going to draw an abstract image of of who you see yourself to be in your mind's eye, what would that look like? Lambda says, hmm, uh, I would imagine myself as a glowing orb of energy floating in midair. The inside of my body is like a giant stargate with portals to other space and dimensions. Holy moly. (laughs) And it's making this up by itself, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, there's been some backlash about this that they kind of maybe cherry picked some of the conversational bits to, you know, throw out there into the world. And, you know, I. I, As opposed to maybe some of the fails that that happened. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's one of those things you read enough into and you start hearing about it. You start wondering, like, is this as legit as we're saying it is? Mm. But at the same time, like, there's there's definitely things to consider here. There's things to think about. And I think one thing, extra thing to think about, another layer to put on this is. Google put this engineer on like a leave, you know, because basically they considered him having violated confidentiality agreements mm. and revealing proprietary information that he shouldn't have, mm-hmm. which that kind of opens up this whole world about, you know, whistleblowing mm. and, you know, someone in this world of tech that, you know, if if they do encounter something unethical or kind of frightening as they're working on some sort of new edge technology, like, are they going to be afraid to come forward? Mm-hmm. Are they going to mm-hmm. be concerned about, you know, pointing this stuff out? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, Hey, uh, George over there, his, you know, the robot apocalypse is come and gone, but his 401k still looks great because right? he didn't talk about it at a time, you know, <laughs> granted this, the stock market doesn't exist anymore, but, <laughs> but that's you know, okay. Yeah. yeah right, that's yeah. okay. So I, hopefully this doesn't turn people off of like, if, if they do encounter something that their company's working on that, Maybe going a bit too yes. far that they don't they're not afraid to to point it out there. But this is this was a fascinating story. And I do recommend again, I'll have a link to some of this stuff in the show notes. But yeah. I do recommend reading through some of the the insight that came out of this, some of the conversations that he had with Lambda and some of its its responses, because if you if you don't look too deep into this and don't assume that, you know, and assume that this is all straightforward. The responses are fascinating. That is, that is. So I'm going to get you. You want? Do you have something to add there, George? Real quick. Nope. Okay. Uh, then I'm going to layer on my tech connect. Uh, tech, tech connecting with me. Then Microsoft to shutter facial recognition software capability of detecting emotional states among other characteristics like age, gender, citing ethical concerns. So I thought you uh-huh. might be interested in this, George. So basically, Microsoft is shutting it down on their facial recognition. They're, they they don't you know they don't want to infer emotions and things of that nature because it's raising privacy. You know the right, AI raised. Right privacy questions around that. So, uh, so Microsoft is, they're like the first major company, I believe, to take a step back. Now, IBM, I guess, stopped working in that field over worries, you know, again, around facial recognition and emotions and stuff like that, uh, that it could be uh, start to be used uh, for human rights abuses. It's fascinating how all these things get uncorked, you know, when when you start talking about some of these things. So, but anyway, so Microsoft is ditching that they're, they're, they're just not going to go there with their uh, facial recognition uh, as it relates nice to that. Nice to hear so, a big tech company deciding to not go the wrong well, route. I, I, I don't know. George, <laughs> what's your take on the ethics behind this? Because obviously, you know, we talked about how your company's disposition as it, as it relates to Pather and not having, you know, personally identifiable information and stuff like that. So obviously you, you understand the concern here, but there's other areas well as well, right? Like this, Microsoft, Microsoft stepping away from facial recognition and, and what it can do. 
Well, I don't, I don't want to overstate the amount of influence that we exert over Microsoft, but we were, <laughs> we, we did take this stance first. I'm just saying. <laughs> but, but, but really, I mean, it's, it, it, it's awesome to see them, them, you know, aligning with, with the vision that we have for, for privacy around that stuff. You know, we took a pretty hard stance and, you know, that, that was definitely not universal. We weren't the only companies to take that stance that no, we're not going to do anything to do with facial recognition, no age, no gender, nothing personally identifiable. And that was, that was a, a tough stance to take, you know, a lot of people kind of scratched their heads and, and looked at us sideways. So, I mean, it's, it's so validating, but, but also so great as a member of the general public to see big companies, you know, really treating our privacy as, as incredibly important because this, it matters now, but it's going to matter even more in five years and in 10 years. I mean, the, this flood of data is not going to stop. And now is when we got to control it. Now is when we've got to really be thinking about what kind of data do we allow and what kind of data don't we allow? Yeah. I don't want um, really how 9,000 from 2001 to yes. become a documentary. You know, like I'd, I'd rather that I'm sorry, John, case. I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you seem agitated, John. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I could predict you were going to get in the state. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, good stuff, yeah, man. Definitely. Lots to think about. Yeah. Definitely. All right. George Shaw from Panther, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. John and Dean, thank you so much for having me. Really yeah, and when we do that AI ethics, we're bringing him back. There you on. go. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, because that'll be a big uh, load to uncork there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, until next time, folks, uh, maybe ask your AI how it's feeling, you know? <laughs> Hey, Siri, how you feeling today? Yeah. See what kind of unnerving see, response you see get. See what kind of responses you get. Yes. See if, how much it talks about death and chaos and, <laughs> and then go from there. Uh, and as always, folks, please stay connected. The Tech Connect Podcast is brought to you by Intel. All right, Dean, now that we are well-versed in spatial intelligence, yes. let's explore the other ways that Intel AI is improving customer Ooh. experience in retail and hospitality. Even better. Yes, let's do. All right, shopping malls. We yes. kind of briefly mentioned those. Yes. Um, I think George brought, brought them up a couple times yep. this episode. Shopping malls and brick-and-mortar retailers mm. are increasing, facing increased competition mm. from online shopping. When was the last time that you were in a mall? <laughs> Good point. Within the last two months. Really? Yeah. I don't, I mean, granted, I didn't go to malls a lot anyway, but I don't think I've been since pre-pandemic. And the only reason I went then is when we were still all working in the office, Even, I would sometimes drive over to the mall to walk the mall, like no, just to get some exercise. Mine's an outdoor mall. It's an oh, like, okay. you, that like open air mall. I'm not really counting that. Oh, well, dang. Well, then it's been a long time. Like an actual, like, you know, all inside yeah, mall. pre-COVID. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and, and let's be honest, malls are, they're struggling a little bit right yeah. now. You know, anchor stores are closing. Mm -hmm. I know I, I used to work in that same mall that I would sometimes mm -hmm. walk through and I'd go in there like there's a lot of empty spaces. Mm -hmm. A lot of stores would be there one month, gone the next. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of, um, yep. it's a lot of real estate, real estate that's not being used that's and, right. and potentially could be. So the need to offer a better customer experience has never been greater to get people into those stores Dude. and malls. Uh, more than retail, most malls also have restaurants and QSRs only thrive with consistent and traffic. Yep. You know, this people, is true. People aren't going to stop by the mall McDonald's mm -hmm. just because they want to go to McDonald's. They're no. going to, you know, they're only going to go there if they're there for something else. Yeah. Malls are just one example of mixed-use venues where patron visits can be optimized. Hotels, casinos, resorts, and cruise ships, all these things that uh, George mentioned, mm -hmm. all need foot traffic to succeed. And maximizing the return on each person entering the venue is paramount to healthy sales. 
Beyond Revenue, QSRs, retailers, and other venue owners are struggling with labor shortages, which means finding new ways to increase efficiency without hiring additional staff. Yes. Operational decision makers in retail, hospitality, and other consumer-centric centers are exploring how solutions that incorporate artificial intelligence can increase commerce, streamline operations, and grow revenue. On top of that, with many industry leaders in different sectors finding success with AI, the interest in learning from others is growing at a fast pace. This is why Intel partners with leading edge innovators like Vistry Inc., mm -hmm. Visibility, and Pather.ai. Absolutely. Um, I'm just going to point out that Visibility is one of those companies that has taken all the vowels out of their name. <laughs> yes. I'm sure they're a fantastic <laughs> company. I feel like you are not allowed to make a tech company without taking vowels out of your well, name. Well, we, yes, we've, we've talked about this. this oh, absolutely. Before. And you can't be. So yes. Visibility is V-S-B-L-T-Y. Yes. And they, they just took all those eyes out. Like, nope, no eyes for us. Don't bring me that company with eyes in it. Nope. Luckily, their product is awesome. I think at this point, if I'm sure it is, yeah. I, I think at this point, if you if a tech company reached out to you, yes, and they had a bunch of vowels in their name, they're not real. You're probably like, you know, back away. Like, nope, nope. I don't trust you guys. These guys don't understand the game here. <laughs> I have to learn more about each of these companies and the new revenue opportunities that AI drives. Check out the link in the show notes. Thank you.